Thank you all. All right, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Proverbs chapter 31. That's where we're going to be this morning as we uh, gather to worship, but we also gather on Mother's Day. Uh, For me, and I don't know why, I've had a great mom, I've got a great wife who's a great mom, but for some reason, Mother's Day is one of the hardest messages for me to, um, to write or to come up with. And I think the reason is is it's not just a, a kind of blanket thing. There are, are all kinds of different women within the church. There are some who have uh, been married, some who have never been married, some who have had children, some who have never had children, some who have lost children. So for some, Mother's Day is a, it's a great thing. It's an encouraging thing. It's a, uh, it's a blessed thing. For some, uh, it can be a, a bag of mixed emotions. And so um, as we look at this passage this morning, we are looking at the idea or the kind of the biblical um, framework of what it means to be a, a godly woman. Uh, so if you are a mother, this fits you. If you are not a mother, this still fits you. If you are, um, have raised your kids and they have left, if you have kids in the house, if you don't have kids yet, whatever it is, this fits you. For men, a lot of these characteristics that we will look at can be reflected in our lives as well. But on top of that, This is a reminder for us, an encouragement for us for uh, how to pray for the women in our life, whether it's a a mother, a wife, a daughter, a granddaughter, a niece, um, how to encourage them and come alongside of them to be who God wants them to be. So let's start off. We're going to read our passage. We will pray, and then we'll just kind of make our way through the passage. So um, Proverbs 31, start in verse 10, and then we'll just go through the end of the chapter. Actually, what we're going to do, I'm sorry, we're going to read verses uh, 10 through 12, then we're going to drop down and read verses 25 through 31, and we'll read the rest of it a little bit later on in the sermon. So let's start off verses 10 through 12, then we'll jump down to verse 25. It says, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Jump down to verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. We just thank you for this time that you have given us to come and to worship you. Father God, to... um, to set our minds, attentions, and our hearts, affections on you for who you are and what you've done. Father God, I pray that as we study this passage this morning, God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Father God, as we celebrate you, God, as we celebrate the women that you have brought here this morning, and Father God, as we work together as a church to encourage one another, Father God, to walk closer with you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Now, as we read Proverbs chapter 31, 
If you back up to verse 31, uh, to, to verse 1, it says the words of King Lemuel, Lemuel. And you wonder, who is King Lemuel? King Lemuel is basically, it, it's Solomon. This is just kind of, a, um, kind of a pen name that he is using. But this is Solomon writing this passage. And it almost makes you think, well, what qualifies Solomon to write about an excellent wife? Solomon, who had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines, he obviously did not know what he was looking for, or he kind of got lost along the way. What qualifies him to write any of this? And I think the reality is, is Solomon's mistakes, Solomon's failures along the way have shown him, through God's guidance of the Holy Spirit, of course, has shown him what it is that he should have been looking for. Proverbs was written... Um, Kind of throughout Solomon's life, this section, I believe, was written towards the end of Solomon's life. So as Solomon looks back, he says, this, this is who I should have been looking for. Now, instead of starting with verse 10, we're going to start with verse 30, and here's why. All of this builds to verse 30. From verse 10 to verse 31, the culmination of it is in verse 30. This is kind of what everything builds to. So we're going to start with verse 30 because as we work through the rest of the passage, it's going to help kind of illuminate and give us um, instruction and direction as we look at the rest of the page. It kind of sets the stage. So let's start with verse 30. And what we are going to take from verse 30 is that her ultimate goal, this, this excellent wife, this godly woman, her ultimate goal or purpose or focus is on Christ or God. Verse 30 says this, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now Solomon starts off and he sets up this contrast. He sets up this contrast between two things, charm and beauty and the fear of the Lord. Now this does not mean that these two are naturally exclusive. It does not mean that if you want to be a woman who fears the Lord that you can't wear makeup or that you can't have a, a, a good attitude or anything like that. But the, the, what Solomon is laying out here, the, the guideline that he is setting is that the purpose, the focus, the direction of your life should be focusing on honoring and loving God and not on the temporary things such as charm and beauty. And this is important because in our culture, really not even our culture, <clears throat> cultures across the world, Women are encouraged to present themselves a certain way, um, look a certain way, be a certain size, carry a certain attitude. When we think of kind of um, lofty or exalted women kind of throughout history, we think of maybe queens or maybe we think of Princess Diana or maybe it's a, uh, an actress that comes to your mind that just carries themselves in a certain way. In our house with three little girls, we've got princesses all over the place. And we've got dress-up gowns and we watch Disney princess movies. <clears throat> and they all kind of present the princesses in the same way. There are these beautiful women that wear these beautiful dresses that carry themselves with this certain level of kind of class and elegance and always saying the right things and always acting the right way and always doing the right thing. And Solomon is saying, look, 
You can pursue this life of charm and beauty, which is deceitful. Charm, anyone can kind of put on a mask and act a certain way and kind of present this uh, facade that the world wants to see. And beauty, which is temporary and vain, it, it doesn't last. And it is not what should define you. Paul or Solomon, excuse me, Solomon says that you have charm and beauty or you have fearing the Lord. Not that they are mutually exclusive from one another, but only one can be the direction, the pursuit, the passion, the goal of your heart and of your life. <clears throat> now we know that the fearing the Lord is not um, being terrified of God, but it's having that reverence, that awe, that respect for seeing God for who He is, acknowledging God for who He is, seeing Him as exalted and lifted up and being the one who, because He has bought our life with Christ, He is worthy of because of who He is and what He has done for us to surrender our lives to Him. Now understand, this is not just for women here. This is for men as well. But we want to focus on, on women because that's what Solomon is saying here. And so a woman who wants to live a life honoring to Christ sets her goal on Him. He is her focus. Not acting a certain way or striving to be popular or presenting a certain look. There's nothing wrong with makeup. There's nothing wrong with nice clothes. But to define, excuse me, to define your life. Our definer, our goal should be set on Christ. And once again, men, this should be our goal as well. But at the same time, if you want to know how to encourage your wife, if you want to know how to pray for your wife or your mother or your children or your grandchildren or your nieces or neighbors or friends, this is what you pray. You pray that they would fear the Lord above all else, that they would seek to honor and glorify God above all else, that that would be their heart, that would be their passion, that would be their desire above all else. Okay, so drop back to verse 10. Now we'll kind of start going through the passage. It says, An excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. Here we see the value or the worth found in women. Now, depending on your translation, uh, mine says excellent here, but there are some uh, that say virtuous, a virtuous wife. Who can find? And what is interesting is that we know that the, the, the Old Testament was written mainly in Hebrew. And the word here translated either virtuous or excellent is only used two more times throughout the Old Testament. One is in Proverbs 12.4 where it says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. She who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. In Ruth 3.11 Now my daughter do not fear. This is talking about Ruth. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy or a virtuous or an excellent woman. And the idea here is that the virtuous woman is one who has her, stand, her standards set by God. The goal, the pursuit, her morality, the direction of her life, how she views herself is not defined by the standards of the world. It's not defined by what culture says. But where she finds her value, where she finds her worth is found in who God is and what God has done in her life and how God has created her and made her and formed her and as it worked in her life. 
So he says, an excellent wife who can find her value, or she is far more precious than jewels. The idea of value. Now, the Bible sets up a completely different um, economy, if you will, when it comes to valuing people. Our world says your worth, your value is set by your appearance, your uh, abilities, your intellect, um, what you can do, how well you talk. Uh, our, our world set your education level, your bank account, uh, your, your position in your job. That is what defines you. That is what defines your value. or That is what defines your worth. That's what our culture says. But the Bible sets up a completely different value system for humanity and for people. And specifically for um, women, listen to these verses from the New Testament. 1 Timothy 2.9 says this, Likewise also, that women should adorn themselves in a respectable uh, apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Once again, that is not saying there's nothing wrong with... um, certain kinds of clothes, but the, the, the idea that Paul is setting there is what defines um, value and worth is not sensuality, not wearing clothes that, that uh, show off your body. That's what he's talking about, that, but having modesty, that modesty has value and worth in God's economy. 1 Peter 3, 3-4 says this, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning or your beauty be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which, is, which in God's sight is very precious. The world says your value is your appearance. Your value is what you can do. Your value is um, what you... Um, present to others or what you can do for others. God says your value is found in Him. Your value is found in living a life that is focused on Him, that glorifies Him. Your value is found in the fact that God loved you and He loved you enough to send His Son to die for you. That is what gives us value. That is what gives us worth. Now, I mentioned that the word that we use for excellent or that that Solomon uses for excellent was found in Ruth chapter 3. Real quick, flip over to Ruth chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of verses in the book of Ruth. If you don't know much about Ruth, let me kind of give you a quick run through to the beginning of her story. Elimelech and Naomi were two Israelites who because of some problems going on in Israel, there was a famine, they moved to Moab, which was a pagan nation. Them and their two sons, whose names I'm not even going to uh, attempt to uh, pronounce because I'm going to butcher it. So they moved to Moab. Their two sons get married, one to a woman named Ruth, one to a woman named Orpah, um, who's who Oprah was named after. Just FYI. Um, They live there until Elimelech and his two sons all die. And Naomi says, look, I've got to go back home. That's where my family is. That's where uh, people who can take care of me, who can uh, provide for me are. I have nothing left here in Moab. And so she begins to leave. And her two daughters-in-law begin to go with her. And she stops and she says, look, I can't provide for you. I can't give you anything. Go back home to your people. Basically, go back home to your 
your gods, to your culture, to that which you know. Orpah turns her back and goes back. Ruth says she wants to stay with uh, Naomi. Naomi tries to send her back. But look in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Most of you have probably heard these verses, especially in uh, weddings. But let, well, let's go back up to verse 15. We'll start with verse 15. And she said, that's Naomi saying to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Now, this is a critical moment in the life of Ruth. And what we're seeing here is basically Ruth's conversion. This is where Ruth makes a decision that says, Look, I'm going to align myself with the God of Israel and no longer the false gods of Moab. I'm aligning myself with the people of God, the people of the promises of God, the people of the, the works of God and the covenants of God. And I'm turning my back on my old life. I'm turning my back on who I used to be. And later when we see that she is called worthy or excellent or virtuous, it's all because in this moment she said, I'm surrendering my life to follow after God. Not just Naomi, because Ruth ends up getting married and uh, ends up being in the lineage of Jesus Christ, but her declaration here is not about her closest to Naomi, but this is a life change moment for Ruth, where Ruth says, the focus of my life, the direction of my life, It's no longer the idolatry. It's no longer the way I used to live. It's no longer what my culture used to say. Now I am living my life to follow, to glorify, to honor, to pursue the God of Israel, the one true God. I am repenting of who I used to be, and I'm giving my life to God. And this defines her, the fact that she wants to live her life to follow the God of Israel, the one true God, defines her as virtuous, as worthy, as an excellent woman. That our value and our worth comes not from what our culture says is beautiful externally, but it comes from our relationship with God. Look at verses 11 and 12. We see that her character is trustworthy. It says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and, she will, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. The idea here is is trustworthiness. The idea here is that uh, this woman is a blessing to not just her husband, but to her family and all that um, that come into contact with her. That she is not selfish. She is not self-centered. She is not seeking whatever makes her happy or doing whatever she wants. But she considers the needs of those closest to her. She considers the affections, the feelings, the life of those closest to her her. And so she protects herself. She is trustworthy in her conduct. She is trustworthy in her speech. She is trustworthy in how she spends her time. She is trustworthy in her relationships. A lot of times throughout the book of Proverbs, we see these these contrasts. Uh, here we have the, the excellent wife who is a benefit to her family. 
But throughout Proverbs and other places, we see the, the opposite of that. <clears throat> Proverbs 19, 13 says, A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Proverbs 21, 19, It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. And those two verses are repeated in multiple spots in the book of Proverbs. And Solomon is setting up a contrast here. That when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to those around us, we can be trustworthy, looking out for the interest of others, looking to care for others, looking to be a benefit to others, or we can be selfish and self-centered and create an untrustworthy attitude and create a quarrelsome or an attitude of constant disputing and constant fighting. And the woman here in Proverbs 31 is one who cares about not just herself, but also her her family and those around her. Now, Jessica's in the nursery, and so I'm going to tell this story just because I don't think she gets, not embarrassed, anyways, whatever. Um, Jessica was trying to sell some of our uh, baby stuff that we don't need anymore on Facebook the other day. And there was this person that wanted our baby swing. Um, And we offered for like an incredible price. And um, anyways, they said they wanted it. And they were going to come by and pick it up on a certain day. And then that day passed and they didn't come get it. And then they were asking us to drive to Pigot or asking us to drive to, the, uh, to Poplar Bluff to drop this off. And it was just one thing after another, after another, after another. And I told her, I said, look, just say we've got other people who want to buy this that live in Corning. Just let it pass and then go. We'll sell it to somebody else. And the only reason she would not do that, the reason why she kind of dealt with this frustration and annoyance is because she said, I don't want this to somehow come back bad on you. I don't want people to see that I'm the pastor uh, or the wife of the pastor of Calvary Baptist and because I didn't sell this lady this because of all this other junk going on, that this somehow comes back on you. That's an incredible blessing for me that she chose to think of someone, of me, but someone other than herself and deal with that frustration uh, to show that kindness, to show that affection, to show that love. All right, verse 25. Verse 25 says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. This shows that she is not fearful. Now, there is a temptation to fear the future, to fear what we can't understand or to fear what we can't control. We have four little kids. There's been this uh, virus going around, which our kids call the sickness, which makes it sound so much worse. Um, But there's been this sickness that's going around, and uh, we've got kids that, you know, two of them uh, potentially might have uh, asthma, and and one of them's six months old or, or seven months old. He's... Whatever. He's a baby. Um, And so there's this thought of, you know, there's stuff that we can't control. Do we fear? Are we worried? And the the picture here is of this woman who is not fearful. Now, this does not mean that she is unwise. This does not mean that she acts foolishly. But it, it does mean that she does what she needs to to be prepared to care for, to provide for her family. And so she trusts God with her future instead of being fearful. Now, we're going to um, 
in just a second, when we get to another verse, we're going to look at those verses that we skipped. But it, it, what we'll see, along with the idea that's not being fearful, is this idea of this is a woman who has cared, she has planned, she has prepared, she has been uh, thoughtful, she has been respectful, she is not acting foolishly or rashly, but things that she does, she does to prepare and to care for her family. And so because of that, she is not fearful, but she trusts in God's control. Verse 26, we see that she speaks truth. It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now, wisdom is the theme of the book of Proverbs. That's what Proverbs is all about. It's all about wisdom. And so we know that wisdom is not just being uh, older and gray-haired and kind of speaking in riddles and rhymes, but wisdom is the ability to see a decision and make the choice that follows after God. Biblical wisdom is looking at choices, looking at decisions, and making the decision, making the choice that moves us closer to Jesus, that helps us walk with God. So when it says that she speaks wisdom or she opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness is on her tongue, it's this idea that she she speaks truth. She understands what it means to know God. She understands what it means to love God. And she grows in that knowledge. She grows in that understanding. And so as she teaches, as she speaks, as she makes decisions, they are filled with wisdom. As she gives counsel, as she gives insight, as she shares her opinion, it is an opinion, it is insight, it is thought that is shaped by God's Word. So she is someone that exalts, that holds up God's Word and God's values, and it shows in, in who she is, how she talks, and the insight that she gives. Now, once again, I don't want to take too much time, but we understand the importance of God's Word. We understand that if we are going to live lives that glorify Him, if we're going to be able to give good advice or, or have impact in people's life that is positive, it is to be done according to God's Word. And that is not just for men, but that is for all, for men, for women, for children, to... Um, to know God's Word, to study God's Word, to share God's Word, and to allow it to shape who we are. Verse 27, she is not lazy. It says this, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness or the bread of laziness. So let's start back in verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 20, um, 24. It says this, or 25, <clears throat> excuse me. She seeks wool and flax. She works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. And with, fruit, uh, with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand out to the poor and reaches her hand to the the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. 
She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. All that lays out is a woman who does all that she has to do to care for and to protect those she loves and those who are closest to her. If it means making clothes, if it means cooking, if it means going out and getting a job, buying a field, planting the land, being near or feeding the needy and caring for those less fortunate. This is not a woman who is just chilling out on the couch, eating ice cream all day, uh, watching home and garden TV. This is a woman who is spending her time doing what she can for her family. Now, that doesn't mean that she has to work. It doesn't mean that she can't work. It means that she is responsible in loving and doing what she needs to do, what she needs to do to care for and love those who are around her. Yesterday, Jessica got to the the desire to plant a butterfly or a fairy garden, whatever you want to call it, in our backyard because she thought that it would benefit our girls, that they would enjoy it, that they would like it. So we went to Home Depot. We uh, bought a bunch of stuff. We went outside. She was the one that got the shovel and started digging everything up. I offered to help, but she said that she wanted to do it. She was the one that planted the the flowers with the girls. She's going to be the one that makes the houses with them because she wants to do what she can to show her kids that she loves them, that she is there for them, and that she will do whatever she she has to for them. Now, she does it in other ways too, but that was just an example off the top of my head that instead of us just chilling out and sitting at the house and playing video games all day or sitting on the couch watching TV, she said, let's do something that shows our kids that we love them. And so this woman that is being portrayed here in Proverbs 31 is one who does whatever she has to do or whatever she can. She's not selfish and lazy, but instead she does what she can to show her family that she loves them. And then we close with this in verses 28 and 29, that she is worthy of praise. It says, "...her children rise up and call her blessed." Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Now there is praise here seen in the family, and there is praise seen here publicly. Now, a lot of times, especially outside the church, Christianity gets a really bad rap. People look at Christianity, and because the Bible does set gender norms, and the Bible does set uh, kind of gender roles in different areas, some people look at Christianity and say, well, Christians are are, are misogynistic, Christians uh, don't care about women, Uh, Christians think all women should uh, be barefoot and, and pregnant in the kitchen and walk six feet behind their husbands at all times. 
And that's not the picture that the Bible paints at all. The picture that the Bible paints is the picture of husbands loving their wives as Christ of the church. The picture the Bible paints is of, of families, of people publicly and privately coming together and praising women for what they do, praising women for who they are, saying, yes, you are excellent. Yes, you are worthy. Yes, there have been many who have done well, but you surpassed them all as, as, as husbands, as fathers, as grandfathers, as, as neighbors, as friends. We should be praising and encouraging the women in our life to love God, to walk with Him, and come alongside them and do whatever we can to exalt them and to lift them up and praise what they do and who they are. Christianity is not this misogynistic religion that pushes women down, but maybe more so than any other religion, Christianity is one that exalts a woman's worth and their value and who they are to serve in the family and to serve in the church and to serve in the culture, and that they are to be praised and lifted up uh, as anyone else would. So God's desire for all people, but but God's desire with this passage specifically is for a woman to walk with Him and for those who know these women to come alongside of them, to encourage them, to lift them up, to exalt them, to praise them for being people who know God and love God and want to do their best to walk with God and follow Him. So we are going to have a a brief time of response. We don't have altars, but if you need to pray, pray where you're at. If you need to talk to me, you can come up here and talk to me. Uh, But we're going to have a brief moment where I will pray for us. and then make, can we sing an acapella? We'll sing an acapella song, maybe just a verse or two uh, to close out this morning. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you now and thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. Father God, I thank you for all the women in this room. Father God, for, um, for those who come, they worship you, they serve, they have impact on those around them. Father God, I thank you for the influence that they have. Father God, I thank you for the examples that they set. Father God, I thank you for, um, for all that they do. God, in the life of our church and the lives of their families. Father God, we pray that you would help each and every one of them to walk with you. Father God, that you would challenge their hearts to know you and to love you and walk with you with all that they are. Father God, I pray for the men in this room as well, God, that we would, God, that we would walk with you as well, Father God, that this is not just a, a goal placed on women and the men get to go and do what they want and live how they want. No, we know that that is a lie and that, that is, that's, not, uh, that's a way to death, that, that, that we want to walk with you as well. And so, Father God, I pray for the men that we would strive to, to follow you, to lead well, to lead as men who love you and know you. And Father God, I pray, Father, that we would be able to encourage all the women in our life to know you and to love you and to walk with you well. Father God, I pray that if there's any decisions that need to be made during this time, that we would do so. And Father God, I pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.